This is Creativity in Play. This is Creativity in Play. I'm Steve Silver. And I'm Mary Alice Long. And I'm Anne O'Reilly. You can find us at creativityinplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play. And download archive editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is poet Anne O'Reilly. Anne was a lecturer in religious studies for 30 years at St. Patrick's College of Ramsandra in Dublin, Ireland. She used contemporary film, theater, novels, biography, and poetry to explore religion and spirituality. She is the author of Sacred Play, Slow Journeys in Contemporary Irish Theater, as well as a book of poems, Singing from the Belly of the Whale. G.D. Brush Wrong, which her poem was released earlier this year. Anne O'Reilly, welcome, welcome to the play. Thank you very much, Steve. Well, well. First of all, it's great to talk to you again. You were recently uh, with, with me in Connecticut for a series of creativity workshops uh, during the International Festival of Arts and Ideas. And I was wondering if maybe jumping off from that experience to talk about distance of the creativity you saw and experience with American audience that might be different than your everyday creativity in Ireland. Well, you know, the interesting thing is it wasn't really all that different. Um, uh, I suppose um, I, I discovered people um, just with the same capacity to play and explore, um, to explore creativity. Um, and really, we're human beings with this um, capacity to be creative, and I don't think it really matters whether we're in Ireland or America or anywhere. Um, it's almost like... Um, the, the the original kind of um innocence and beauty and, and magic of the child just comes out um and uh that's something that really unites us all. So um I, I, I was pleasantly surprised at how at home I felt. And I wonder if you could read us one of your poems. I'd be happy to. I'd be very happy to. Um now that's always always a choice. I think what I might do is read um, one of the very first poems I ever, ever wrote, and I just think as I was just speaking there about children, and I wrote it for my daughter when she was eight years of age, and it's called Earth Ball. Little one, this is your day. Hush, let me whisper how I love you, how your eyes are glowing, now beside us in our bed. Eight years now since first we lay together separate but at one sharing the exhaustion of your birthing no tiredness now you've been awake for hours your bedroom strewn with cards and wrappings your excitement wakens the child in me and I hear you speak in wonder of how you love the earth ball we have given you Someday you will learn that we call that ball a globe and no longer use your word in case they laugh. My gift to you is memory, lest you forget this naming and the hope that in remembering you may shape a new imagining for this earth ball world of ours. 
uh, your, your own personal philosophy of play. I know that you're a sacred clown as well. And uh, I wonder if you could talk about your philosophy of play and uh, a bit about your sacred clowning that you've done. Well, um, my work with uh, sacred clowning is um, very much inspired by um, Didier Dantois, who has a school of sacred clowning and the sacred clown as healer. And um, through my work with um, Didier, I have really come to a very deep awareness of how um, it's the innocence and um, beauty of the child that um, that is the key to, to all play and all creativity. And um, uh, the sacred clown work that I've done um, and that I do is, is actually silent. So it's interesting that um, the other side of my life is speaking poetry um, uh, because the sacred clown work that I do is, is in silence and uh, any talk is really just kind of a nonsense talk or um, a jabber talk, I suppose. Um, and... Uh, I think the work of the Sacred Clown um, is an invitation to people to um, return home um, to, to themselves in the world and um, to return to their own uh, beauty, really, and their own truth. Um, it's very, very gentle and terribly simple. And um, it's, almost about, it's almost about getting out of the way, really, rather than putting anything there. It's just away what's kind of um, in front of or, or, or kind of the defences we might have built around that kind of um, pure simplicity of the child and it's a return to that with the seeing the world as if for the first time and rediscovering it in play and in in exploration the way a child does you know so it's the, so the work is to both experience that and invite people through, you know, being at a performance to actually also enter into that space of original innocence and play. And it's that making the world new again, you know, um, a little bit like my my own poem. And in a sense, it's that kind of, um, you know, newness, that original, the original, seeing things as if for the first time. You had a great um, quote in your book, Sacred Play, that we used several times during the event that you did here, which was the liberating space of play, which can turn the world upside down and enable a new imagining. Yeah. I if you would elaborate on that, picking up on what you were just describing the book, play. Yeah, well, I suppose um, when I when I was working on um, Irish theatre, um, uh, when I was, I was doing um, some doctoral uh, thesis work and then subsequently uh, wrote this book on Irish theatre, I was looking at play in a very specific sense, in the sense of the play of theatre and plays that actually take place in the theatre. But within that, I was also looking at, um, within a number of the plays that I actually looked at, there was play, as it were, within the play, uh, that great dramatic tradition, um, whereby um, the characters um, in many of the, the, the stories that I looked at were actually playing with absolutes and playing with certainties. And in that space of kind of um, play, they were inviting, they really invite the audiences to kind of um, take a, take another look at 
what we think are absolutes or certainties in our world. And if something can be really turned upside down um, in play um, in front of us on the theatre stage, well, who's to say it can't also be turned upside down when we leave the theatre or inside out for that matter? Um, you know, um, so in a sense, I, I kind of... Um, well, I went from working with theatre and theatrical texts then into looking more at um, the poetry and the kind of role of the sacred poet and um, looking how um, that well, the role of the poet in actually playing with playing with language and playing with um, you know how we tell ourselves to ourselves how we t- how we how we tell the story of who we are. In that in, in light, Anne, I wonder, I wonder if you can, you can tell us a bit more about, about how you write, write uh, your uh, style your of writing, writing and, and, and maybe even a little bit about your writing pattern, and how you get yourself, yourself started, started, and uh, yeah. how the flow goes for you. And how, how, how I keep going, I just go on, as Beckett would say. Um, you know, uh, depending on what I'm doing, I have kind of different um, different approaches, and it's always changing. Um um, I find that um, when I was writing, let's say when I was writing my, my book on theatre, um, I found that, um, I would, well, it was a thematic book in that I, I took a number of themes and I looked at how different playwrights in particular plays looked at these themes. Um, I, I never start at the beginning and work right through to the end. I think I always start in the middle. Um, and uh, when I started writing, uh, writing i just literally took the individual plays to sort of see how how they actually worked and then i i didn't i I went back and wrote the introductions to the chapter and the end you know what i mean but i always found that it was really important for me to listen to what was actually going on in my own body when i was trying to write for example i was writing a chapter on the wonderful plays of marina carr she's a, a fantastic young irish female playwright and her p- plays are very dark indeed, and wonderful, wonderful plays uh, with almost a kind of poetic language in them. Um, and yet, when I was writing about her plays, I just found it so difficult. I kept hitting this impasse, and I kept finding, gosh, there's absolutely no hope in these plays. How am I going to write about this? And it was only when I really entered into the actual impasse in myself where I was right up against why should I go on hoping? Why should I hope? Why should anybody hope? Why should I not take the path that many of our characters would take when faced with kind of absolutely insurmountable circumstances? And it was only when I faced that kind of um, impasse in myself, that kind of dark night of the soul, as the kind of mystics would call it, it was only when I really came face to face with that in myself that I was actually able to write through that and get a whole insight into her work, you know what I mean? So that I, I, I do pay a lot of attention to what's going on for myself at any one particular time um, when I'm writing, particularly in that kind of, uh, that writing. And I, 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 don't, um, I don't just write, with we'll say, academically. I like to write in a way that's connected with my own life, my own process, my own journey and my own awareness. And... Um, Poetry, um, I've been writing poetry for a long, long time, but it's always changing. It's always changing. I find um, 
uh, I write a lot of um, just journal stuff that I just you know write a lot every day, and um, and sometimes it goes absolutely nowhere, and sometimes there's a gem in it, you know. Um, I've tried all kinds of things. I've tried walking to inspire me to write. I've tried dancing to inspire me to write. I've tried listening to poetry to inspire writing. You know, so there's. I don't have. I certainly don't have a pattern. I can tell you that. Yeah. I'm um, it's uh, sort of whatever's happening at the time and listening to it and I, I find now that walking is really helping me to kind of just listen at a different level and it's like I start to hear now the rhythm of the words and the rhythm of something that wants to be said even before I know what it is I want to write about One of the, One of the events that you were part of here was called Embodying Creativity that was about movement and creativity and, and you you brought poetry into that as well and yeah. Can you, can you say a little bit more just what you ended with around how, how are you, the walking right now, is, is helping tap into your creativity? But this broader, this broader notion of movement in general related to creativity. Yeah, well, um, I guess it's really to do with the relationship between the inside and the outside or the invisible and the visible. And, um, you know, a lot of... Um, a lot of Celtic spirituality, a lot of my own kind of spirituality would be uh, trying to find a way of articulating and giving form to what sort of what sort of dimly sensed or perceived or felt in a kind of um, a mystical kind of realm. And the only way to actually give that form is to is to really focus on the breath and the body and the kind of movement of the breath and the body in space, really. Um, um, Paula Meehan, uh, one of our young uh, Irish uh, poets, um, she talks about uh, the poem, the making of the poem as the shaping of the breath in space. And in a sense, it, the, the whole kind of um, relationship between the pulse of the of the heartbeat, the, the breath of the body, and the movement of the body, like it, they're all so interconnected with how do we bring... Um, how do we bring this spirit into the body? How do we embody it? How do we articulate it? How do we follow the breath? How do we follow the movement? So in a sense, the, the searching for the words is the following of the breath in space. It's the following of the impulse to embody spirit. It's the following of the impulse to bring the invisible into the visible realm. You know, and that I found myself thinking more of that and speaking about that when I was with the different groups in 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 Connecticut, and finding you know um, that the more we listen to the body and the more we move the body, the more we become you know become aware of even what we want to say or how we want to say it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really struck with how much, how much we likely, likely have to talk, talk about, about together, together. <laughs> and many others in my uh, various communities, including um, the Jungian psychology community. Yeah. Because much of what you're saying is um, I definitely uh, bring to the table in terms of Jungian psychology. And um, I wonder, uh, in thinking about all the the spirals that we're creating here in this conversation, what you think about um, reading poetry? How should poetry be read, in your opinion? <laughs> well, the first thing, it should be read out loud because it is a different word when it's a spoken word. 
And um, so that's the first level is to actually take it from the page into the body, into the, into the voice. And then if you can read it while moving as well as speaking it out loud, that's an, another level. What I've been working with over the last couple of years is working with embodying poetry by not just speaking it out loud, but actually entering into a relationship with the poem where it's, it becomes almost written on the bones, where it becomes really embodied. And I've been working with taking poetry into my heart, really. And in doing that, and I don't mean just learning it by heart, because we all have terrible experiences, certainly in Ireland, about learning things by heart and things being beaten into us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what is it like to take a poem into your body, almost like a medicine, you know, and to actually speak the words and speak the words of the poem and allow them to become a teacher. And what's really fascinating is that the words of the poem work on the body and work on the whole what's stored in the in the heart and mind and body of the person and really ha- cause a really alchemical kind of process to take place. So there is a transformation possible through the speaking aloud of poetry that's connected with the heart and the breath and the body and the rhythm of this particular being that I am, that you are in the world, you know. And it, like I've been running some workshops now in Ireland working with poetry like this, and it's absolutely fascinating to hear how the same poem can be spoken by different people and taken into their hearts in a totally different way because of the rich life experience that they're bringing to bear on the poem, you know, because the depth of maybe sorrow or... or, or um, or brokenness sometimes that people bring to the reciting of a poem. And um, and at the same time, the poem can also be an invitation to um, to discover um, the kind of deep space uh, where we're where we're no longer separate. You know that there's this, there is something actually that's uniting us that, that's much more powerful than what's separating us. Another one of the topics that we explored together was around this intersection between creativity and purpose, and again, sometimes the role that poetry can help us in tapping into our purpose and our creative selves. And I'm wondering if you might have any of the great Mary Oliver poems you shared related to these particular topics that you might share with us. Just now? (laughs) Okay. Just to put you I'm, on always, the spot I'm always afraid of reciting Mary Oliver um, in case I uh, in case I mispronounce mis misspeak one of her fabulous poems. But um, um, is there a particular one? I suppose the one that um, most people kind of um, think of when they think of Mary Oliver is, is the poem "The Summer Day," and um, so it goes like this. It's probably very appropriate to have right at this moment. It's a beautiful summer day in Ireland here. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open 
and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Thank you. Thank you. Can you pick up on this great theme that uh, always makes me think, I have to say? Well, I didn't quite catch that. Did you say, did I, can I pick up on that theme? Yeah, can you pick up on the theme of, of that? What the, uh, one plan to do? <laughs> well, you know, you're not going to get a blueprint um, for wholeness in the in in the poems, um, in the sense that we're not going to get, it's not prescriptive. It's more kind of, um, it's um, the poem resonates with something inside the heart. Um, it's like, um, as Rumi says, uh, the poem is like a letter or a greeting from the secret ones inside the heart. So the poem is is resonating or vibrating almost like um, it's like an instrument and and, and each person is like an instrument. And as we hear and resonate with the vibrations, perhaps we we start to sense something of the the, the fullness of who we are, the capacity that we have or the the tremendous... um, uh, sense of self that 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 much bigger sense of self that the Jungians will talk about that we, we we live very small lives and very kind of narrow versions of what we can be, and it's like I think the poem is an invitation. That poem and many of the poems I would recite is into the bigger space of what we can possibly be, and it's it's much much bigger. It's um, it's like this: the world, as Mary Oliver says in another poem, it offers itself to your imagination. And it's that invitation to a fuller imagining of what we can possibly be. Um, you know, it's the poetry has the power to ignite in us um, this sort of passion for possibility, for another way, for another way of seeing, perhaps another way of being, a fuller way of inhabiting who we are in the world, seeing our, our connections with, with each other, with the earth. You know, it's it's locating us um, within a larger kind of horizon of being and becoming and inviting us to, you know, to stretch. And that's back into the movement again, to stretch out and to take up the space of, of who we really are. And let's uncurl and unfurl and just become much you know, the, 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 the enormous beings we are, and I don't mean that in the sense of people with big egos, but like to really feel the sense of, gosh, what is the possibility for my life? And um, so it's, the poem isn't going to actually spell it out, but it may ask the question. It may, it may locate you within this bigger horizon where you feel called to kind of 
express something more and it may be write a poem or it may be dance or it may be create something that hasn't been there before but it's that's the kind of energy that I'm talking about really How does, How does breathing, breathing in nature, because I'm, I'm assuming, assuming in, in Ireland, Ireland you have great, great uh, my, I'm, I'm getting, getting echo back, back so excuse me, but you're getting, in, in Ireland, Ireland you're, you're, you have a great opportunity to be in national settings. Yeah, um, um, and I wonder, I wonder how, that, how that, when you, when are, you are in nature, nature or, or you feel, you feel that, that natural self, how that informs your poems. I think there is nothing nothing better for uh, nurturing the deep connection with with the heart and with 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 the with the essence of what is than to be outdoors in as you you said in nature well i i'm living very near a beach i love to just walk on the beach i just love to it's like it just opens um your whole being to 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 breathing the fullness of what is and you know, it's like um, I don't know. I think perhaps if we if we if we keep ourselves indoors and sit at our computers and we we it's like everything kind of gets smaller and it's like we live in our minds. Well, I tend to live in my head a lot, and I have to walk to kind of really remind myself that I have a body, and I have to walk to remind myself of the rhythms of nature itself. I love the different seasons. I love the cold. I do like the hot heat as well. I'm trying to like the rain. I'm not very good at that. I'm, I live in Ireland. But sometimes I like the rain when I just realize, you know, how much the earth needs the rain and how much it's parched. There is something about the rhythm of the earth itself, the rhythm of the, the, the land, the seasons, the, you know, the, the fact that... It, you know, there's times in the year when the earth is, 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 everything is, everything seems dead. There's that, you know, that season of, you know, just being with that rhythm and, and moving then into spring and the fullness of life and then moving into just the beauty of summer and the kind of exuberance of color and, and then, you know, but just sort of realizing that we're not separate from all of this. And this is really important for me. I have to walk or I think I'd go crazy because I would be in my head and I'd be worrying about how I'm going to pay the mortgage and I'd be worrying about a hundred different things. When I'm on the beach, I sort of feel, gosh, I, I just feel located in a much bigger, in a much bigger horizon. And, and I don't feel separate from what is. And uh, um, that kind of... Um, and I think what happens then is, and I mean, I've walked that beach and I've walked the beach in very difficult times. And I, I, one of my sisters died very tragically a couple of years ago. And I walked that beach until I could come to terms really with what is. And that's, that's, that's one of my, my poems, um, you know, that, um, you know, it's just that kind of sense of really wanting to kind of bow to what is. Um, it's just kind of so... You know, it's like, um, um, I don't know if I have time to say that poem. I think we're nearly at the end of that uh, thing. Um, uh, well, I say that poem, the, the one I the one I wrote called What Is. Um, yeah. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Today I bow to letters and cards, soul friends touching me from far away. Bow to the familiar ritual of the morning cup of tea. 
Bowing to the rain is harder, though, until I see droplets on the glossy leaves of the thirsty white camellia. When I think of the day it arrived, the day of her burial, the bow sticks in my throat like a swallowed sob. My shoulders hunch and my back feels tight and something cracks inside when I try to bow. My exhaustion seeps into the sheets and I push away the bow that accepts this need for rest. Like two great sumo wrestlers bowing before they begin their great display, parts of my world square up and face each other. The one who fights and the one who surrenders. The moments of beauty and the abruptness of death. My struggling, yes, and my defiant, no. And I wonder how my life could ever become one long, deep bow to what is. And thank you so much for sharing that and for joining us today on Creativity and Play. Thank you very much, Steve and Mary Alice. Thank you. Anne O'Reilly is a poet and author of the book Sacred Play and Singing from the Belly of the Whale. You can listen to this show and previous shows again at creativityandplay.com. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. With Mary Alice Long, thank you for joining